Good morning. Our Bible reading this morning is taken from the Gospel according to St John, chapter one, beginning at verse nineteen, page one. Sorry, page eight hundred and sixty in the Pew Bibles. Uh, just a short prayer first, though. Father God, thank you for this opportunity to hear your word, and thank you too for the rich reward we have in the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for what the Bible tells us of the life and ministry of Jesus and for the faith he encourages in all of us to have the power of God's love. Amen. Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. They asked him, then, who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness, make straight the way for the Lord. Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, why then do you baptize if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet. I baptise with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptising. The next day John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptising with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him, and I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptise with water told me, The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptise with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. The next day, John was there again with two of the disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, Follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, 
You are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is the word of the Lord. Well, please keep your Bibles open as we continue our series on uh, the Gospel according to John. Uh, well, on Tuesday, Melissa was taking her kids uh, to an appointment at the Royal Children's Hospital. Uh, what was meant to be a routine visit turned out to be a very, very memorable one. As she was approaching the hospital, uh, she saw swarms of people approaching. Uh, and she thought, oh, well, what's going on here? And since it was, uh, she was early for her appointment, uh, she thought she'd check it out. And then it made, all, uh, made a lot of sense to her. See, she started hearing Ed Sheeran singing and playing his guitar. Uh, as she looked around, people didn't just flood the f- uh, ground floor to get a glimpse of Ed Sheeran. All the balconies of all the levels of the hospital were packed to the brim. For a moment in time, uh, doctors and nurses, scientists and researchers, parents and patients all stopped what they were doing at the hospital to get a glimpse of Ed Sheeran. Uh, to see the global superstar, to hear the uh, multi-Grammy Award winner play his tunes. Now, as far as we know, no child died during the performance as doctors and nurses abandoned their posts. Uh, Now, whether you're an Ed Sheeran fan or not, it was a huge moment for the patients and their families. Everyone who worked at the hospital uh, uh, were in for a treat, uh, were delighted by this surprise. But as you know, Ed Sheeran didn't come all the way from the UK just to spend a few moments with the children at the hospital in Melbourne. Uh, He's here in town for his mathematics tour. And so on Thursday and Friday nights, he packed out the MCG and performed to excited crowds. Uh, But his tour didn't just happen overnight. Uh, At his concert on Thursday night, he said that it was eight years in the making. It took eight years of planning, of lots of people getting involved to make this concert possible. And you see, when something big and important happens, it doesn't just happen overnight. It takes years of planning, a lot of people uh, to get involved. So Ed Sheeran's appearance at, in Melbourne last week was no surprise to many. Over 200,000 people bought tickets for those two shows. And so they were expecting him to be in town. That wasn't the surprise. The surprise was what happened at the Royal Children's Hospital, that he turned up on Tuesday to perform for 30 minutes uh, to treat the kids at the hospital. Now, in a similar way, if we take our minds back 2,000 years ago and find ourselves in the shoes of the Jewish people living in Palestine under the rule of Caesar, the Roman emperor, we would have been living with great expectation too. And not for a pop star to rock up to perform a melody or two, but for a Messiah to come to deliver us from our enemies. You see, since Judah was sent into exile in Babylon almost 600 years earlier, the Jewish people have been hanging on to the promises of God. They believe God had a plan to rescue his people, to restore his kingdom. And this plan wasn't eight years in the making. It found its roots even a thousand years earlier when God promised King David that a son of his will sit on the throne and rule his people for all time. And this king, this Messiah, this anointed one of God will rule God's king with justice and mercy. He will bring an end to all wars and bring peace on earth. But for more than 400 years, 
Since the time of Malachi the prophet in the 5th century BC, the last of the Old Testament prophets, up until that time, there hasn't been an official word from God. Yet the Jews didn't give up hope. They continued to wait for God's deliverance and believed that God won't abandon his plans, but he will come to save them. And so they listened out for the good news. They looked out for the Saviour that would be born to them. And so when John the Baptist appears on the scene, he's preaching, he's baptising by the Jordan River and it appears that he's creating a great big fuss around him. And so some Jewish leaders, the officials, the, 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 the important people back in Jerusalem, they're wondering, well, what's going on there? Who's this guy? Is he the Messiah? And so they send the Pharisees off to Bethany by the Jordan River where John is causing a big fuss to see who this guy is. And, but John tells them in no uncertain terms that he's not the Messiah that they're looking for. Verse 19, this was, now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. They then asked John if he's Elijah or the prophet in verse 21. And he said, no, I'm not. And so now the Pharisees know who John isn't. He's not the Messiah, he's not Elijah, he's not a prophet. And so they ask him, who, who are you? Verse 22, who are you? Give us an answer take, take back to, uh, so that we can take it back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? Now, if any of us were asked that question, who are you? It'd be a straightforward answer. But not for John the Baptist, because he wasn't just another ordinary person. As we read in last week's prologue, he was sent by God to bear witness to the light. And so John doesn't give a straightforward answer. He answers them in terms of an Old Testament prophecy that was given by Isaiah some 800 years earlier. And the context of Isaiah's prophecy is that God was angry with them. And so God sent Judah into, uh, will send Judah into exile, into Babylon, and, but after some time he promised to bring them home, to restore them as his people. In fact, God is saying that he will personally come. He will come for them. And they'll know when he comes for them because he will send a messenger ahead of him. And this messenger will announce that God is coming and God will come to save his people. And Job the Baptist is saying, I'm this messenger. I'm here to tell you that God's coming. The exile is coming to an end. God's kingdom is at hand. Have a look at verse 23. John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. And now if you look at the, uh, 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 the, the passage, the verse that he's referring to in Isaiah chapter 40 verse 3, there, the word Lord there is actually the word Yahweh, the word for the covenant God, God's holy name. And so the person making preparations for the Lord to come is God himself. God himself will turn up. And so the way that John the Baptist prepares the way for the Lord, for God to appear, is by baptizing people in the Jordan River. And so when the Pharisees ask him about it, he basically says, don't get hung up on the baptism that I'm doing, but about the one that I'm preparing for. Verse 26, I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I'm not 
worthy to untie. Now that's a, a, a strange thing to say, isn't it? Now, but if you imagine yourself living in ancient Palestine and the roads are largely unsealed and your feet are constantly covered in sand and dirt and there's no running water and no modern plumbing and if you were wealthy and you went home, you'd have slaves. And when you get home, your slaves will be the ones who would untie your sandals and wash your feet. It's a dirty and lowly job. And what John the Baptist is saying is to the Pharisees is that there's one among you, the one I'm preparing for, the one who's coming after me, he's so important that I'm not even worthy to be his slave. I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals and wash his feet. It is an extraordinary thing that John the Baptist is saying, isn't it? After all, he's, he's sent by God. He's the last of the Old Testament prophets. And later we'll see that actually he's heard from God directly. He, he's had experiences and he's a man that is like none other. Yet he is saying that he is less than a slave to the man he's preparing for. Now I found this really challenging as I reflected on it during the week. Because you see, we, we talk about Jesus and even pray in his name, but do we feel the weight of the name of the one that we speak. We hear people talk about Jesus and some even make vile jokes about him, like we saw on the project this week, a few days ago, and yet he's a man who understood his place in the grand scheme of things. He's a man who knew the immense importance of the one who is to come. John the Baptist understood who Jesus is and how important he is. But do we? I wonder whether we really get Jesus as John the Baptist got him. Do we see it a privilege to even be called a slave of Christ? Yet we are children of God. Because for John, he didn't even feel worthy to untie the straps of the man he was preparing for. And that is Jesus. Now, John didn't just have the privilege to prepare the way for the Lord. He had the privilege to point out to everyone who this man is. And so on the next day, when John sees Jesus, he points out Jesus to everyone. That's the man I'm preparing for. That Jesus there is the Lamb of God. Verse 29, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You see, John recognizes Jesus as the Lamb of God, which is an allusion to the temple and the sacrifices that the priests have been doing year after year for hundreds of years. Temple sacrifices where a lamb would be slaughtered and sacrificed to atone for sins. But now John is saying that this man, Jesus, is the Lamb of God and he is going to take away the sins of the whole world. And so we have to wonder, well, how does John know that Jesus is the man? That Jesus is the chosen one? Well, if Ed Sheeran came to church this morning, we'd be in for a surprise and a treat. But we'd recognize him, wouldn't we? Because we recognize what he looks like and the way he dresses. We'd recognize if he started to sing and the way he strums his guitar. 
And that's because we've listened to his music and seen his videos. And so how did John the Baptist recognize Jesus? Well, they're cousins. Yes, we know that. John was his senior, about six months older. But how did John know that Jesus, his cousin, is God, is the Lamb of God? Well, John goes on to tell us that he was given a sign. A sign so significant and so obvious, a sign that corresponds exactly the word of revelation that he received directly from God, that he would know without a doubt that Jesus is the chosen one of God. Verse 30, this is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me, before me as we saw last week. Jesus is the word who was there in the beginning. I myself did not know him. That is, I knew him as a cousin, but not as God himself. But the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. You you see, John didn't just go around baptizing people to call them to repent. He baptized people because eventually he would baptize the Son of God. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony, I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. You see, John doesn't record the baptism of Jesus. It's implied that it's already happened. We know that from the other Gospels. And when Jesus was baptized, the Spirit of God came upon him and remained on him. And when that happens, John knew that that is the chosen one. That is God himself. That is the chosen one, the Messiah, the Lamb of God, who will take away the sins of the world. You see, the baptism of Jesus is rightly understood as the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. It's like the curtain has been drawn and the show is about to begin. It's like the veil has been removed and the true identity of Jesus is revealed. It's like the coronation service of a king and the beginning of his ministry. And right at the beginning of Jesus' public ministry is John the Baptist, the forerunner, the messenger, the one who dedicated his life to prepare the way for Jesus, for the coming of God himself. And now that Jesus has appeared and the signs fulfilled, he begins to point people to Jesus. He's the one. He's the chosen one. He's the Lamb of God. Look at him. Follow him. And that's exactly what he does the next day. Jesus is there again the next day in verse 35. And this time, John the Baptist is with his two disciples. Verse 35, the next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. And so his two disciples leave John the Baptist and follow Jesus in verse 37. They hang out with Jesus uh, over at his place in verse 39. Now, John tells us that one of the disciples' name in verse 40 is Andrew. But notice that he doesn't actually tell us the name of the other disciple that followed Jesus and left John. Our hunch is that he did that because it's probably John himself, the author of the gospel. So here we have Andrew and John, the first disciples of Jesus, who were disciples of John the Baptist and have now left John the Baptist to follow the Lamb of God. 
Now notice what Andrew does straight away. Just as John the Baptist couldn't help himself but tell others that Jesus is the Lamb of God, the Son of God, the Chosen One of God, Andrew does the same thing. The first thing he does once he works out who Jesus is is that he goes and tells his brother. Verse 40, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. Cephas is Aramaic, Peter is Greek. But it's not just John and Andrew who, who can't keep it to themselves. Philip does the same thing the next day. When Jesus tells Philip to follow him, he goes and finds his friend Nathaniel and tells him about Jesus. So verse 43, the next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now, if I was working at the Royal Children's Hospital and I saw Ed Sheeran playing his favourite tunes in the foyer, I'd be messaging my boss and calling my colleagues and telling them, come down, come and see Ed Sheeran. And that's kind of what's going on here, isn't it? The Jews have been waiting for hundreds of years. They've been in exile. They're not living in the land under their Messiah, their King. And when they finally get wind that Jesus is the Chosen One, the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God, they dropped everything and followed him. But not only that, they couldn't contain their excitement. They told people around them, they told people they loved, their friends and family. And so they could also follow Jesus. And, and notice too that they weren't commanded to do that. No, no, no one told John the Baptist, uh, uh, John, sorry, John the Baptist didn't tell Andrew, his disciple, once you follow Jesus, make sure that you tell everyone else about him. And Jesus didn't say to Philip, make sure you tell your friends. You see here, in the early days, as Jesus recruited his first disciples, evangelism wasn't commanded. It's just what they did. Telling people about Jesus is something we must just do, not because we've been told or been guilt-tripped in, in, in feeling like we should, but because we've met Jesus and know him, because we've seen his glory and recognize his significance. That's why we do evangelism. That's why we share Jesus with our friends and family, because we know him and love him, and we want others to know and love him too. Now, that doesn't mean that we're going to just drop everything and just do that and go and meet Jesus and expect all our friends and family to do the same. Notice what happens with Nathaniel. Unlike Andrew and John, Peter and Philip, who dropped everything and followed Jesus immediately, Nathaniel's a bit more sceptical. Verse 46, Nazareth, he says, Can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asks, Come and see, said Philip. But notice how Philip doesn't try to convince Nathaniel. He could, but he doesn't. He just simply says, Come and see. Come and see for yourself. Meet Jesus in the flesh and see for yourself who he is. And that's what we can do too. Come and see. 
We don't have to have all the answers when we share Christ. When people push back and ask questions and we're phased and we're not sure how to respond, that's okay. We can simply say, come and see. Come and read the Bible and see for yourself. Come to church and hear for yourself. Because like Nathaniel, they might be blown away by what they see and hear. Verse 47, when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of them, of him, he truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael's like, how do you know me? If Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God, you are the king of Israel. You see, Jesus tells Nathanael everything about him even before they meet. That is, Jesus tells Nathanael what only God knows. And Nathanael believes that he's the one. He's blown away. He went and saw, and he's blown away. But not only that, Jesus then tells Nathanael that that's nothing compared to what he's about to see. Jesus then refers to a famous passage in the Old Testament. Verse 50, Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree, yet you will see greater things than that. He added, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now you might remember this story as well. The story of Jacob as he's fleeing his brother Esau. And he sleeps one night under the starry sky and he has a dream. He has a dream of a stairway to heaven with the angels of God ascending and descending up and down the stairway. That is now, there, there, God is promising that there is now access between God and mankind and it will be through Jacob. But Jesus puts a twist to the story. He doesn't say, I'm the angel, I'm the messenger. He doesn't say that. He says, I'm the stairway. I'm the bridge between God in heaven and man on earth. If you want access to God, if you want to encounter God, then then come to me. I'm the stairway to God. Dr. Eric uh, Levi was working at the children's hospital uh, on Tuesday. Uh, When he heard Ed Sheeran sing, he dropped everything and went and watched him perform. He saw doctors and nurses, patients and family, cleaners and shopkeepers stop what they were doing to enjoy the performance. And he tweeted this, In a few mere minutes, gifted musicians like Ed Sheeran changes the tone of the hospital for everyone. You see, from Dr. Levi's perspective, through one man, the tone of a hospital is changed for a few mere minutes. Through one man, the sound of crying babies and coughing kids is replaced by the voice of an artist for a few mere minutes. Through one man, the mood of sickness and death is changed to the hope that is found in his music for a mere few minutes. But as we'll see more and more as we study the Gospel of John, we'll see that Jesus won't just change the tone of a hospital for a few mere minutes. He will change the lives of millions upon millions for all eternity, where sins are forgiven and death is defeated, where hospitals will no longer exist and sickness and crying and pain is no longer an experience for anyone. 
In fact, Jesus won't just change the tone of a hospital for a few mere minutes. Jesus will change the course of history as we know it for all time. And we only have to wait another five weeks before most of the world will stop what they're doing, stop trading in their business for a moment and stop working for a moment. And many, many people will gather in churches like ours to celebrate Easter for Jesus changed the course of history for all time. And I know you'll be here for Easter unless you're on holidays, of course, but have you once again this morning grasped the majesty and the glory of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Lamb of God, the Chosen One of God who takes away the sins of the world? Because if you have, then let's be like John the Baptist. Let's be like Andrew and Philip. Let's, let's, we can't help ourselves, friends, to tell people about Jesus just like they did. Because one of the best ways for anyone to hear about Jesus is through our own testimony and our own witness, through our own story in our own relationships. You see, friends, years ago when we ran the multicultural carol service at Bowen Gardens next door in partnership with the council and, and some local churches, we had over 600 people year on year attend the carol service. And most of them weren't even Christians. Most of them came from the streets of Campbellwell and Glen Iris and they'd come and have a great time celebrating Christmas with us. Most of them didn't attend church. And after we, we would ran these uh, services and these outreach programs and dropped thousands of flyers and had billboards across uh, uh, the suburb, guess how many people ended up coming to our church or the other local churches because of the event? Not one that we know of. Now, don't get me wrong, there's definitely value in hosting big events and doing advertising campaigns and erecting billboards, leafleting and letterbox dropping like we'll be doing for Easter. Absolutely, there's value in doing those things. We need to pray, we need to trust God to save, but ultimately, as you probably know from your personal experience and as we've seen in Scripture this morning, ultimately, what will get people hearing about Jesus and coming to church it's when our friends and family see our love for Jesus, see our excitement for the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. When they hear from us and they're personally invited by us to come and see. John the Baptist told Andrew and John about Jesus and they followed him. Andrew told his brother Simon about Jesus and he followed Jesus. Philip told his best mate Nathaniel about Jesus and he followed him. And maybe, friends, if you and I tell our friends and family about Jesus, maybe they'll follow Jesus too. Amen.